0: I'm very concerned that our society is much more interested in information than wonder, in noise rather than silence. Fred Rogers, whose loving prophetic voice is most known in his role as Mr. Rogers on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, observes in 1994 what is even more true today, information and noise. And he wonders, How do we encourage reflection? Jesus asks this too. Jesus says he came that we might have life more abundantly and invites us to pay attention and have the wonder and silence and eyes to see that we might not miss what's really in us and around us, this abundant life that Jesus comes to share. But, Oh my, this is a noisy world this is still a noisy world. At Salt House this fall, we come together to make space in the noise for prayer and breath to reflect. Our journey is led by another prophet, Cole Arthur Riley, who dares to ask in her new book, This Here Flesh, how can spirituality not silence the body, but instead allow it to come alive? How can we find peace in a world overtaken with dislocation, noise, and unrest? Cole Arthur Riley is a contemplative, the kind of contemplation everyone can do, contemplation that is a bridge between our interior and exterior worlds, fully experiencing our bodies, present where we are, and seeing our world and reality as they truly are. The current moment and the last few years have not felt like life and abundance. It has been hard to know what we feel and see and make sense of it all. So each Sunday this fall, we become contemplatives. As we open ourselves to the Jesus story and a chapter or two from this here flesh, each one names a theme of way we come alive, including body, place, belonging, fear, wonder, rage, memory, lament, and liberation. So friends, this fall, do you want to come alive? Into the abundant life of God that is within you and all around you, me too. What a gift that we get to contemplate and grow together as we explore ways we come alive. All right, friends, good morning. Good morning, yeah. Man, stay in touch with that breath that is with us as we dive into another way we come alive this morning. So Cole Arthur Riley does have a chapter on, in this here flesh, on calling. Thank you, Jackie, for setting that up so beautifully for us today. So that, because that's where we're headed. So for us to talk about calling today, I just, man, I was just feeling really grateful for Cole and her inclusion of calling in her book. Because man, to talk about calling is to talk about how our lives and who we are and what we do, how it matters. Like there are things that we do, there are things for us to do. And as Jesus followers, that there are things that God calls us to do. And I love this. I think it's true. My heart is like, yes, Jesus came in the flesh because how we live in this flesh is holy. And what Jesus did mattered. And what we do matters. And God keeps working in these bodies and lives and all that we have been given to be the love and healing and reconciliation of all things. Like, yes, calling, woo Like, yeah, I love this. And yet man, this is also, it's hard to discern, like, just what calling is, like, what, and then, like, what are we actually supposed to do? And just all the questions that go with it. Like, have you ever wondered, even struggled at any time with what you are to do? Anyone ever struggled with that? Ever. Right. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, have you ever wondered or even struggled with who you are? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? So, uh, yeah, my hand's up. So the, but the good news is that today, this conversation is for you. It's, it's for us. For these are questions of calling. So are you with me then in diving into these questions as we talk about calling? All right. So to frame our conversation, let's begin with our scripture reading. It's part of the story of Samuel in the Old Testament. Uh, it's when he was a child. You may remember that Samuel's mother, Hannah, has been unable to conceive. And so she prays to God, promising, okay, okay, God, if you give me a son, then I will just dedicate him to your service. Just please let me have a son, let me have a child. And so when she, when she does bear Samuel as a young child, he was then sent to live and, and serve in the tent of meeting where the Ark of the Covenant is kept. So he's there serving alongside the priest, Eli, that's where he lives. So this story, I love this story because it was one of my um, daughter June's favorite stories to read when she was a toddler. It was the sweetest. Anyway, you're welcome for that. Okay, yeah. Um, so it was just great. I don't think I, I scheduled a reader, so I think I'm just reading this. Am I right? Cool. All right, so this is First Samuel 3, 1 through 10 from the message, which there it is. Bring it on up. All right. So here we go. Picture it as it unfolds. The boy Samuel was serving God under Eli's direction. This was at a time when the revelation of God was rarely heard or seen. One night, Eli was sound asleep. His eyesight was very bad. He could hardly see. It was well before dawn. The sanctuary lamp was still burning. Samuel was still in bed in the temple of God where the chest of God rested. Then God called out, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel answered, yes, I'm here. Then he ran to Eli saying, I heard you call, here I am. Eli said, I didn't call you, go back to bed. And so he did. God called again, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli. I heard you call, here I am. Again, Eli said, son, I didn't call you, go back to bed. This all happened before Samuel knew God for himself. It was before the revelation of God had been given to him personally. God called again, Samuel, the third time. Yet again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Yes, I heard you call me. Here I am. That's when it dawned on Eli that God was calling the boy. So Eli directed Samuel, go back and lie down. If the voice calls again, say, speak, God. I'm your servant, ready to listen. Samuel returned to his bed. Then God came and stood before him exactly as before, calling out, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel answered, speak. I'm your servant, ready to listen. Whew, it's a good one. I asked June this week uh, why she loved that story so much, and she didn't remember exactly. But I wonder if June loved the story of Samuel because this is a story of a child who hears God, a voice calling clearly by name, Samuel, Samuel. Man, isn't this, isn't this just what we all long for? When I think about coming alive to calling, like this is what I want, right? I don't, like we want this call from God that will be clear and direct, even if it interrupts our sleep. Uh, you know, we want to hear from God and huge bonus if it involves like great specificity of detail about what it is we are to do, right? Like that's what I want calling to be. And yet, to limit ourselves uh, to this understanding of what calling is, like, this is one way we might actually miss the chance to come alive. By boxing calling into a tight package of what we do, that's not not quite it. Even though, if you search up the definition of calling, it's defined as, screen, there it is. Calling is a strong urge toward a particular way of life or career, a vocation, right? Right? That's a very, like, specific kind of way to talk about it. And I think uh, we think of calling as this, uh, what we do for our jobs and career, our livelihood. Man, like, I felt called to become a pastor. Calling, vocation, absolutely. Yet what we we actually do or don't do for our job and career, like, I want to suggest that that is part of vocation and calling, absolutely, and we'll get to that. But there's also more to it. You see, before calling becomes something that we do, and even before we get to the voices that call us, Samuel, we actually start the conversation of calling in the silence of who we are. So Cole Arthur Riley, in This Here Flesh, she says this, our questions of calling tend to be more aspirational than introspective. We spend a jarring amount of time asking young people what jobs they might have one day compared to what is true of them right now. The question of calling is not primarily a question of what we might become, but a question of what is already true, not least of which is what is true about the self. For our young people here, has anyone ever asked you, what, what do you wanna be when you grow up? What do you wanna do? Anyone ask you that? Yeah, right? This is a question that we ask. How many people ask you, but who are you now? What is true now, right? Hand goes down. Yeah, like, right? Calling begins in who we are. Who we are. I've been um, reading this from various sources this week, and I just, it's been really, I just have loved it. Like, oh, wow, yeah, like so many people say this. So I'm just, get ready. I'm just going to quote all the things right now about it, okay? So first, we turn to Parker, Parker Palmer. He says it this way. My newborn granddaughter did not show up as raw material to be shaped into whatever image the world might want her to take. She arrived with her own gifted form, with the shape of her own sacred soul. Thomas Merton calls it true self. Quakers call it the inner light or that of God in every person. The humanist tradition calls it identity and integrity. No matter what you call it, it is a pearl of great price. Yes, this, it's just so true for us, right? You did not arrive here. You didn't show up to be shaped by the world into who you are. You arrived in your own gifted form with the shape of your own sacred soul. Within you is your true self, the inner light, that of God. And Parker Palmer goes on to say, the deepest vocational question, so the most important question we ask about calling, It is not what ought I to do with my life. It is the more elemental and demanding, who am I? What is my nature? And Cole Arthur Riley, she says it again this way. She says, ask me what I want to be, but not before you ask me who I want to be. Ask me who I wanna be, but not before you ask me the more searing question of who I am. Many of us will go to great lengths trying to answer this question without awareness of it. From horoscopes and the Enneagram to the social archetypes of the high school cafeteria, we are desperate for ways to make sense of who we are in relation to the world. It's troubling that the answer would, be so, um, would not be immediately clear to us, but there are parts of us we've managed to hide even from ourselves. So, this question, who am I? Like, it's, shouldn't this be like an easy question? Like, it seems like it should be like, don't we know who we are? And yet, we just heard it described as demanding, searing, elusive, and hidden. And I appreciate Cole and Parker, also Henry Nouwen and Richard Rohr, all of them say how hard it is to hear and know who we are. This is deep, challenging spiritual work. Because even though, as Parker Palmer said, like his, his granddaughter did not come into the world in raw form to be shaped by the world. She was still shaped by the world, right? Like so are we. Just one example of how our formation of self happens. I was talked about in the We Can Do Hard Things podcast. Uh, they were interviewing, anyone listen to that sometimes? I do sometimes, yeah, yeah. Uh, so they were interviewing Dr. Becky Kennedy. It's episode number 130, is if you wanna to listen to it, but it was a conversation about parenting. And Dr. Kennedy spoke about how early on, ages two and three even, how kids are learning about just how things work, right? It's called procedural knowledge. And they're learning about, you know, who they are and how the world responds to parts of themselves. They're learning um, just like how uh, they'll notice that what parts of them get smiles and hugs and attention and nice looks, but then also what parts of themselves get sent to their room or scolding or distance, right? So what kids do, and it makes sense, they bring out those parts that get smiles and a pat on the back and love and questions, Then those parts that have led to yelling are being sent to their room, punishment, to physical abuse, to any of those really attachment-threatening moments. Well, kids put those parts so far away, and they develop systems to keep those parts far away, because if they do, then they can survive in this world. And so Dr. Kennedy concludes how, like, our body actually wires, develops circuits, right, systems around those lessons very, very early on, like pre-verbal, right, very early on these lessons about affirmation versus criticism, or of, of safety versus danger. And in doing so, we train out of our kids, and this is what happened to us too, right, we train out that capacity to listen to themselves, to know that what they feel, what they notice, what they hear is valid, to know who they are from the inside. But, good thing as we get older, we totally stop doing this, right? We sure don't stuff down parts of ourselves that we perceive people reacting to negatively, right? Uh, there certainly like aren't additional ex- expectations and feedback given to us that chisel away at our sense of self, not a chance, right? No, Ah. or so much comes at us all the time, vying to shape who we are. As teens, absolutely, as adults, it's our whole lives. We hold to what we've learned as children to not listen to parts of ourselves that don't fit what is expected of us or what we ought to do and to do and act and respond and speak and make choices based on that conditioning and procedural knowledge. Not that our true self never comes out, right? But we're just naming how hard it is to hear and know that self, right? And yet to live that way, like disconnected from self and not let our true self, our inner, inner, our inner light, our that of God, be just who we are and inform how we live with time, we learn that that facade, it doesn't last, it doesn't work. This idea was even in the Marvel movie that our family watched last weekend for movie night. We were watching Avengers Endgame. Seen it, Marvel fans in the room? Yeah, yep. Um, So there's this scene where um, Thor is struggling with what to do and really who he is. And I have this picture, yeah. So do you remember the scene? And he has um, this gorgeous scene with his mother where she could have told him like who to be, a very direct prescription of what she thinks his calling is. And he wanted that, right? Yes, please, give that to me. But instead, she says to him this. She says, everyone fails at who they're supposed to be. A measure of a person, a hero, is how well they succeed at being who they are. Everyone fails at who they're supposed to be. You're gonna fail if you're you're trying to be who you're supposed to be. The thing to measure is how well we do at just being who we are. And I love how Thor's mom is totally like the divine parent voice for all of us too, right? How God says to us, what I want for you is you being who you are. Okay, so I'm like laying it on like super thick, right? With Parker Palmer and Cole Arthur Riley and Thor to back me up, okay? (laughs) We get to like the action part of calling, what we actually do by being in touch with who we are like we've got to get our own who right before we can begin to address the question of what we are to do. In other words, coming alive to our calling begins with coming alive in who we are. Alive to the image of God in us, as it is uniquely expressed in us, your own soul, your own true self, your inner light, your own that of God, which is in you, then, Then, then friends, then we can talk about how calling is also what we do because there are things that God calls us to. There are things for us to do in our lives and in this world that matter. So how the heck do we know what to do, right? How do we know what we are called to? So let me offer a word from St. Francis. Two Sundays ago, we gathered uh, for the blessing of the animals, which meant this room was packed with cuteness and uh, allergy triggers, right? Um, As we remembered the life and impact of St. Francis of Assisi, who lived in the 12th and 13th centuries. So Francis walked this earth and lived and taught unlike anyone else ever before him. In a book that he wrote, he was writing it to his brothers of the faith. Uh, St. Francis said this about how he lived his life, which is of course how we can hear it for us as well. He said, no one showed me what I had to do. He's expressing how you know, he lived, what he lived wasn't prescribed to him, he had to, he had to find that way. Then at the very end of his life, St. Francis says this, I have done what is mine, may Christ teach you what is yours. I have done what is mine. May Christ teach you what is yours. I sure wish that when I am at the end of my life, when I'm at my own death, that I can say with delight and satisfaction, whatever age I am, I did what was mine. And don't we each wish for this? I wish it for you. So this is like a good way to hold our understanding and experience of calling that we would not worry about doing the right thing or what is expected of us or even what we or anyone else imagined our life would be, but that as we go about our day and as opportunities and decisions arise for us, that we would be guided to ask this question, what is mine to do? And this is a question about job, career, livelihood, absolutely. But friends, it's not just about our jobs and what we get paid to do. Calling is about our whole lives, all that we do. Martin Luther, 16th century monk whose teachings influence our theology here at Slothouse because we're a Lutheran church. You don't have to be Lutheran to be here. But one of Martin Luther's great teachings was about vocation, about calling. He would love to talk about that. Even in the 16th century, Luther was so clear about how God calls all people into action and to service. And Luther's theology of vocation was that the Christian finds a concrete place where God can be served just in daily life, like that what they do is serving God. And some Christians have a job, um, and many serve God through their job, but the concept of vocation is broader for Luther, embracing both work and play, the employed, the unemployed, the retired, those who work at home. Luther was clear that the best opportunities for serving God are those that are close at hand. So it's the stuff that we're doing every day. So it's in our in family and in school and sports and clubs and work and community and in the local church. And that vocation is found again in concrete things, and it includes, and I love this, all activities which add great joy to life and build real connection among people. Isn't that awesome? Like, that's, those are the things that, that's, that's calling. He did say that among these, music has a special place, which I just love. But do you hear the broad strokes with which we paint this picture of calling and vocation? Do you hear the, the closeness of it, the everydayness of it? Do you hear the joy? So to ask the question, what is mine to do? It is not just our job. It isn't even just the big decisions in our lives. What is mine to do becomes a prayerful question that we carry with us as we notice, you know, the dishes that need to be done, the ride that must be given, the dog that needs to be fed, the reach out to a friend who is struggling, the saying no in the face of racism or bullying, the money that can be donated, the dinner that needs to be cooked, the volunteer task that is needed, the grace and listening ear that is offered. What is mine to do is just bubbling under the surface for us always. Like God is always calling. But remember, it's not the only question that we're carrying, right? So what is mine to do is a question that can only follow the question of what? Who am I? Yep. What is mine to do flows out of that true self, our inner light, that of God in us. Also, what is mine to do inherently includes the question, what is not mine to do, right? Rest and pacing and saying no and focus, all are part of calling. What is not mine to do is our question too. So as we're living with these two questions, who am am I, what is mine to do? You maybe sit there wondering, okay, hey, great, Sarah, enough already? Like, just tell me how I answer those questions, right? Is this you? You're wondering those, yeah, mm-hmm, yep. Yeah. So uh, how do we know who we are? How do we know what is ours to do? Well, you better believe I have a very clear answer for you on that one. I don't. Um, here's the thing, answering these questions and even just figuring out how to answer them, this is the work of our lives together, right? Hearing God and following God's call is what we live day by day. And I can't give you a clear like step-by-step process to know your calling, but I can offer some signs to follow to help find the way. And it boils down to what St. Francis said when he said, I have done mine, may Christ teach you what is yours. May Christ teach you what is yours. Who? May Christ teach you what is yours. It was St. Francis's prayer for his friends, and it's my prayer for us all that Christ may teach you what is yours, and that what is yours would become what you do. Christ is the one who teaches us what is ours to do. We find our way as we draw near to this Jesus who loves us, and whose spirit dwells within us as living presence, as our true self, as our inner light. We find the way, we find what is ours as we come to know our God and be known by our God. Look at the story of Samuel. Cole Arthur Riley points out how when she first heard the story of Samuel, she thought how interesting it is that the question within the story, the question isn't what do I hear, right? So it's not about content or, or what am I supposed to do? But the central question is, who is calling, right? Who is calling you, Samuel, in the middle of the night? Who is it? This is our question, too. Just learning what is ours to do is synonymous with learning to recognize the voice of God calling to know God's voice then, in the midst of all the voices that call to us, that are attempting to shape us, including in the middle of the night. Man, there are a lot of voices that wake me up and keep me up in the middle of the night, right? How about you? I wanna know which of those are God. So as, as, we, as we listen to all these voices and as we come closer to who God is, we will be able to ask, who is it? And we will know when we hear that sound of God's voice as part, we just know then that that's part of what's being asked of us. And I just love that Samuel is this story demonstrating how it is God who calls to us. So then how how do we learn to hear God's voice? Well, here, together. Like our listening skills are refined and fine-tuned here in community. The worship and the teaching we experience together centered around Jesus of Nazareth gives us just that like ivy drip of learning and life that helps us learn who God is, what God does, what it sounds like when God is up to something. In small groups, we practice that with others we gather around the Jesus story, seeing throughout the Bible, how God embraces and loves and invites into action everyone who is willing. The folks who are at the center of the stories of the Bible are not superstars, they're not heroes, including Samuel. So often it's people in the Bible who do really simple, everyday things that they that were theirs to do. God calls based not on someone's record or resume, but God calls based on the heart, inviting us to be who we are and do what is ours to do. So my friends, where are you in this conversation? Like, what is coming up for you? How can you come alive into who you are and God's calling in your life? Really, I invite you to consider like these three questions that we're talking about. Which of these questions is yours to spend time with and grow into? How can I come alive into God's calling in my life? So maybe it's the man, a who am I question. Are you asking questions about who you are and stuff, com- stuff is coming up about maybe those places that have been stuffed down for you? Or is it a what is mine to do question? or Are there, are there decisions or action that you're really holding? Or is it, man, I just wanna learn how to hear God's voice better, like the who is it question is for me. So I just wonder, just sit with that, what, what, is, what question is yours now? Which one needs attention? Are you feeling lost or longing just for something new that is yours to do? Maybe you're without a job or just not in what you think is yours anymore. You know, sometimes our job, which is part of our calling, isn't something particularly noble beyond, beyond that it can pay the bills. And like, that is good, like we are called to that too, right? Maybe the everyday stuff that is in front of you isn't feeling like yours. For me, it's always like, we have to make dinner again. (laughs) Like, oh, and you're looking for a renewed sense in like the little things mattering and that being part of what is yours to do, right? Maybe at school, like something just doesn't feel right or you're unsure about which friends, which sports or activities, about getting your homework done, like, Do you need a way to hear who you are? Like what we do here on Sundays and at Yash and at Spark with our high school and middle school ministries to help you know what is yours to do. Maybe stuff is coming up for you that has roots in your own family of origin and this is the invitation to connect deeply like in that who you are question. We've all again silenced parts, hid parts of ourselves and maybe it's time to set yourself free. I know many of us are doing this kind of good soul work in different ways in counseling and small groups, which is forming that identity, who you are, and in turn forming that sense of, this is what I am to do. So maybe this is a place for you to turn. So friends, just sit with this. How can you come alive to your calling? Which of these questions of calling do you hear something about today? As you sit with that, uh, I invite you, as we do each Sunday this fall, you're invited to name that thing that God is saying to you about coming alive. In a few minutes, you can come and find a strip of cloth and write a word or phrase to name what that thing is and then tie it to the tree. You can also just tie a blank one. if you. This is my hope and my prayer about calling, like Jesus help me. That It can also be that, that trust in what God, that God is with you. Uh, folks online, you can go to the bulletin page and just type in what you would like us to write and we will get that up on the tree for you. And our tree is just filling with life, ways we come alive this fall, which is just incredible. And you can do that during the song of response, the moment or during communion and after worship. Uh, And finally, I wanna say this, maybe the word you need to hear about calling today is simply this, it's quoting Hank Green on Instagram. And he says, fun fact, there are more than 7 billion ways to live a valuable life, you're doing fine. Friends, you are doing fine. And may Christ continue to teach you and all of us who we are and what we are to do, that we may do it together. Such is our calling from God, amen? Amen. So move to our song of response. I love that Samuel, (laughs) three times he was like huh 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 like he didn't know the voice right and then finally he was able to say I'm ready and I'm listening and I just find that as such a word of grace so we get to keep hearing these things and it's like okay now I finally got it God thank you you know so that's such a good word for us Um, and just in this time I just want to invite us into the the posture that Samuel showed us so let's pray God in these moments before us now we just pause and hold that posture of listening it's what Samuel did when you got his attention, he stopped and simply said, speak, Lord, I am your servant and I am listening. God, you have our attention now. So we take a breath, we feel our bodies here in this moment together, and we pause to listen for you in what we're experiencing in our bodies and spirits. You speak so that we might be changed, that we might be changed in this world. And it is so good. So thank you that you are our God who dwells in us, who knows us, and who calls us. So speak, Lord, for we are listening.